Never eat soggy wieners. I would agree. Welcome to another POTUS Life. Today is Friday, September 8th, and this is episode 15. I'm Ryan Markley, and with me is my co-host, Justin Ozinga. I'm uh, glad you could be here with us today, Justin. How are you doing, bud? Is there, uh, is there, anything, you wanna, is there anything you wanna talk about? Is there anything? Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. Yeah. Briefly, I just wanna say that this is a podcast about the U.S. presidency. Yeah, that's probably good to remind and people that that's what we talk about. Pre- the current president fucking sucks, and that's all I have to say about it. Forever. I never have to talk about it ever again. Justin, can I... I'm so wiped out from it. But but here's, here's the real problem. I had a moment of true insanity yesterday. I actually, with this whole DACA thing, uh, I, I actually tend to agree with Mr. Trump. And I don't think that these are his own words, but I do actually believe that President Obama's action on DACA were an overreach of presidential authority. So, like, this is a problem. Our president sucks and he's sure. a big fucking poop turd sickle. But then he says something that you're like, ah, uh, that makes sense. And I can kind of get on board with that. I don't know what to do with that. That feels weird for me. But overall, still a big turd sickle. Definitely a big orange poop sickle. Yeah, the president of the United States is a cut. But <laughs> today, today we're going to talk about something else. Question mark? Today, we're going to spy hard. We're going to spy. So this is going to be our episode, probably plural, about George and his spying game. Thinking about today, I couldn't help but reminisce about my childhood playing GoldenEye on the N64. So much GoldenEye. And anybody All that's the listening time. to this who, yeah, if you're in your late 20s and in your 30s, maybe 40s, and you didn't play GoldenEye, then you're a fucking loser. Yeah, you definitely were probably not one of the cool kids. That's for sure. You don't think I was a cool kid? No, no. I think that you I think that you played lots of GoldenEye. I think you were in there. I think you were I think you were playing that game. I think you had four fucking screens going up. I think you and three friends were fucking just going to town. You were the cool kid. I'm saying if you did not play some 007 GoldenEye, then you were a fucking loser. But just like GoldenEye, things in pop culture are definitely hard for spies. I love movies. Ryan is kind of a, you know, he just watches The Patriot and <laughs> Braveheart on repeat. But there are some some good friggin' spy movies. Arguably one of the best Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest. One of the great Spielberg movies in the last 20 years, Munich. I couldn't make it About through it. I tried. Spies. I tried to make it through it. It was too. Have you tried recently? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I maybe I just need to give it another Aaron go. Ban is, is a sexual tyrannosaurus. 
I, I used to just love Bond marathons on TV. I just would just slurp them up like dudes uh, come. I mean, um, Goldfinger from what Russia with Love is probably tied with cas- the recent Casino Royale. You're into that Bond series, huh? You like that? You like mm-hmm. that Bond? I'm into, I'm into bondage. Do you have a Do you have a favorite Bond? Uh, I would say that it would be between from Russia with Love and. Casino Royale. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I will I will side with the the Connery if it's a bunker situation. I think that's a safe play. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. Spying is is part of humanity. The Americans. Great show. Even Jurassic Park's Dennis Nedry. He's committing espionage when he steals those dinosaur embryos and in his Barbasol can. Game of Thrones, of course, comes to mind. Varys, you know. My little bear. He's a he's a kind of a Exactly. He's a master spy. He's got all these little birds. <laughs> a more recent spy uh, dynasty, Kingsman. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Oh my God. Have you seen this? Have you heard about it? Have you seen this? It is so good. The church scene, epic. Oh just, yeah. Just, Kingsman is the shit. It is, the church scene is one of the most epic action sequences ever, period. So good. Yeah. It's better than James Bond. Snape in Harry Potter is... Like a double agent, Dick Steele. I never thought about the whole Snape thing. Actually, to be honest with you, that's that is a that's a truly interesting way to look at it. You're correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's a double agent, and he is damn good. And the best thing about Harry Potter, Dick Steele, <laughs> the late great Leslie Nielsen, Dick Steele, aka Agent WD Forty. I just watched that because you recommended that to me the other day. I watched it. It was fucking hilarious. Did you watch the whole fucking thing? Yeah, I did. I did. Isn't it great? Yeah, I, I died. Yeah, it was great. I haven't watched it in a while. I think it I holds do up. remember it's at good. the end, they do the tag team thing. And at one point, Hulk Hogan is the tag team partner. <laughs> just, mm, it's a spicy meatball. And he was fucking, he was rough. He was old there and he's banging hot Russian agents. Great, great movie. So that there are all these classic spy movies and even recent shows like The Americans with these classic great spy characters, mostly white. And we know so many of them. Brian knows less. I'm more I of like a... Hurt. I paid you for a Bourne series kind of guy. You fucking nailed it. You fucking nailed it. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I, won't leave out, I won't leave out some of my classics like uh, Spy Kids or Harriet the Spy. Great. You know, these are Agent Cody Banks classics. Yeah, fucking losers. I jest, of course. I do like I do like the Bourne series, though. I really do. I think they're good. I know that you hate them. They're awful. Yeah, they're, I know. They're terrible. The first Bourne movie is okay. The rest are awful. I just saw, no joke, and I thought it was really funny that because I knew we were doing this, like, spy thing, and I just saw an article today about Julia Stiles being in the Bourne franchise, and it was it was just... I don't know, fortuitous that it happened upon today. Oh, Julia Stiles. But as common as the Jack Ryans, Ethan Hunts, we didn't mention Mission Impossible, Sterling Archer, (laughs) and the Burt Macklins. These are common household names. Most people would probably know at least three quarters of those names. Yeah, I'd say so. But people do not know Agent 7-Eleven. You mean like the gas station? No. Well, yeah. 7-Eleven is a gas station, which, by the way, is probably missing out on a great marketing campaign 
because, I mean, you're telling me that the place that offers cheese stuffed Doritos can't have an Agent 7-Eleven secret Slurpee or some dumb shit like that. And no, Agent 7-Eleven cannot bring you up a bag of Skittles and some plastic gas station vodka because Agent 7-Eleven is George Washington. Oh, damn. And like, what the shit? These convenience stores will sell you a four-hour-old hot dog, but they don't have jack shit about the spy ring that helped start America. It's a fucking travesty. But in general, the story of intelligence, of spying in the Revolutionary War is not common knowledge. I don't have jack shit recollection of my public education talking about it. Yeah, I really, I really don't either. And maybe, I mean, like, I was thinking about this. Maybe we learned a little bit about... Uh, you know, Benny Arnold, but that was pretty much it. And they didn't really cover his espionage portion. It was more just like he was a traitor, but they didn't talk about why he was a traitor or what he did. You just knew he was a traitor to America. Good old Benny Arnold, Benedict Arnold. He took the honeycomb. <laughs> he certainly dipped his hand in that little honey pot. But there really is a lot of this going on in this time in George Washington's life. So it's difficult to decide what we want to cover on this episode. Oh, man, it was it really was. Uh, there are so many intricacies and angles of espionage and counterintelligence during this time. And like you said, it's happening all over the place, all over the world. France, Britain, the Americas, the Caribbeans, everywhere. Canada. Yeah, this is. Oh, yeah. This Canada. is going to be a, it's going to be a Disney version of the whole story mixed with some death, a little bit of spying. We're going to go a little long. What else is long? We have a lot of shit to cover, and this is going to be more than one episode. So much shit. Connor, right now, you heard it. This is going to be a several-parter. We might even have a trilogy on our hands here. So, for for beginners, MountVernon.org wants us to know that George was a spy master. But was he? Was he a Varus? Was he? Did he have little birds? Was George Washington the 1770s M? Well, I, I don't think that he was quite a various because that guy's fucking layers upon layers. And he was definitely not as badass as M, but he definitely had some qualifications. Remember the seven-year war times? The war George participated in as a 20-something? Specifically, do you remember the one time he went to a French fort to deliver a message to the French for the British? While he was around all those French forts, he decided, well, hey, I might as well write a bunch of information down and draw a few land maps while I'm at it. He noted the officers would get super fucking drunk and, hey, they just openly talk about military movements in the area. So I should probably take a little bit of a little bit of notes on that. George also experienced some massive intelligence failures while serving in the British as well. For example, he failed to surmise that the French would be able to overtake him at Fort Necessity. He had almost no information about their movements. The Indians were feeding him all the information. They were like, uh, we're getting the fuck out because some shit's about to go down. Um, interestingly enough, though, this failure was taken and turned into a success, if we remember, of sorts. His journal was published over in Europe. It was an influential propaganda piece about his exploration of hardships that he suffered while in the westernmost unexplored front of the America Northwest. So, I mean, this is a this is a he really actively participated in creating propaganda. George Washington himself, Agent 7-Eleven. Jumping back into the revolutionary timeline, like all good, I'll call them good, spy masters. Decent. Decent Washington, spy masters. Yeah, he's, he's no 
Mallory Archer. <laughs> but Washington did not know the identities of all the agents in his super secret club. These agents could have been anyone. Brain surgeons, janitors, rocket scientists, exotic dancers, NASCAR drivers, Ooh. carpenters, oh my. Uber drivers, well, porn I- stars, <laughs> masseuses. The guy selling you anti-M pretzels at the fucking mall. Anyway. You know, ecstasy pill pressers. <laughs> Fudge packers? Some Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. How the fuck do you think you get fudge? Everybody laughs about it's it. It's in but... that neat little package every time. Every time. Someone's got to put it in there. But in this case, they were actually all these anonymous people that are going to help in our spy ring were innkeepers, farmers, owners of coffee shops and printing presses, diplomats, both educated and uneducated alike. Before we go too far, I want to talk about a guy named Nathan Hale. He was sort of the first American spy casualty slash hot patriot icon. He is the guy who forced George to double think the way he was running his fast and loose espionage operation at the beginning of the war. That being said, uh, it is really important to note that Nathan Hale was a dumbass. Seriously, he was considered a hero, a spy, and a true patriot. And maybe he was a true patriot, but he was a fucking horrible spy. He was really just another disjointed character of this large and intricate group carrying secret papers around the woods. Hale went to Yale, of course, I like how that rhymes. Hale went to Yale, which meant he was a proper white man and could do anything because he is a special white little snowflake that went to Yale. Benjamin Talmadge recruited him to join the war efforts. We'll get more into Benjamin later, but Benji wrote Nathan a little note about how this was God's war. Nathan, being a good Christian Yale boy, got half a chub at the thought of serving his God and decided to drop out of teaching and join the ranks of the Patriot Army. As a young officer in the Continental Army, Hale was recruited to join Knowlton's Rangers as a commander of one of four companies. At some point, he is asked by Washington in public to go behind enemy lines to deliver papers and gather some intelligence. He would ultimately be identified by a loyalist, found with enemy papers, and executed. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but a lot of what we know about him is more legend than fact. Like I said, he was a patriot, he was willing to die for his country, and he was definitely a hero in that sense, but also a very lousy spy. Quoting a book that I've been reading, Spies, Patriots, and Traitors, American Intelligence in the Revolutionary War, quote, his selection, and this is talking about Nathan Hale here, quote, his selection, training, or lack thereof, and how he conducted his mission were horrible by both intelligence and common sense standards, which is fucking hilarious. Interestingly enough, though, There are tons of statues of this guy, like, all over the fucking place. They're at the CIA headquarters. They're at the Library of Congress. But the funny thing about all this is, we don't actually know what he looked like. So the image that we have of this Nathan Hale dumbass spy patriot is mostly to stir patriotic feelings versus a way to actually honor him for his, quote, brave and courageous actions. Also, let's... Just but we honest. do know that he was, pro- knowing George Washington, he was probably just a really hot dude. Oh, Justin, like, that guy's Hill. really hot. He'd be a great spy. He was love hot dude, super hot. 
He was hot. We know he was hot. He was tall, like George Washington. Uh, he had a good physique. He was athletic. He worked out a lot. He played sports. He maybe he maybe could throw the bar just like George Washington threw the bar. Remember that? Unfortunately, most spies are just happy to collect their lifetime pensions, which this is a thing, and not be held accountable for their actions. And more importantly, if you were truly a good spy, not just some dumbass patriot, athletic, tall spy boy, you wouldn't get caught. Nathan was a fucking horrible liar because he was super into religion. He believed in the good of his fellow man so much. Yeah. Nathan Hill sounds a lot like the Kenneth Parcells of spies. What do you mean? Yeah, from 30 Rock. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. No, most certainly. Kenneth the Page. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you my secret, sir. I lie to myself. Every morning when I wake up, I say everything's going to be okay, but I'm lying. And I don't know how much longer I can do it. Have a swell night, sir. Yeah, you get you get it. He's, <laughs> he's the, the Kenneth Parcells of spies. No, he was. Just he really was the Kenneth kind of Parcells of spies. Absolutely. Totally not a not a good spy. Oh, also, fun fact. Nathan Hale was the great grandson of John Hale, who was really involved in the Salem witch trials and was all about burning those witches. So that was kind and of really John Hale saved us from treacherous witches in our country uh is we you have know to thank him for that yeah uh and does, now, a, does a witch witches are just kind of like a fun halloween joke because, because we killed john them. hale he drowned killed them all. and hung all the witches he did it he did thank it you john Salem. hale now he talk about a true hero so i want to tell you more about the mission that got this fucking fool captured and killed so apparently nathan hale showed up late to a meeting where every other officer declined to go spy so like I previously stated, he publicly volunteered to go do it. He, Justin, he broke spy club rule number one. If you're going to go on a super secret fucking mission, don't publicly accept the mission. Have some semblance of what real spies would call operational security. Think about it. The British probably knew he was coming. Actually, they have a long history of espionage and counterintelligence. Certainly more history than the program George Washington was trying to fucking run. Now, we have no documentation proving the British knew he was coming. But at the same time, they most certainly embedded people in the Patriot Army that were friendly to the British and would report information on general military movements. So after learning about his assignment, Hale went and talked to an old Yale classmate about the mission. This is where he breaks fucking spy club rule number two. Don't go tell everybody that you're a goddamn spy. Remember, loose lips sink fucking ships. His friend tried to talk to him out of it, noting that spying was, quote, not in his character. His nature was too frank and open to deceit and disguise, and he was incapable of acting a part equally foreign to his feelings and habits. Yeah, but you know what? What's that, Justin? I agree. Loose lit. I agree that loose, loose, loose sink lips ships. sink ships. But you know what? Doesn't cut steel. <laughs> Ice. Ice. The Titanic. Ice, 
was an inside job. Ice cannot <laughs> hot steel. Oh. I wish people would wake the fuck up. Was 9-11 an Go inside on. job? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> oh. Controlled demolitions. Ever heard of them? <laughs> Not ever, not everything was Nathan Hale's fault, I guess. We have no record that Hale was actually properly instructed on the methods of gathering intelligence, his cover story, how to document the information he was supposed to be collecting, or how to escape if he needed to. Which breaks spy club rule number three. Have a fucking plan. Now, I guess I'm not totally being fair. They did give him some advice as to where to hide all the incriminating documents. They said, hey, this is George. George pulled him aside and was like, hey, hide all of those important documents inside the lining of your shoe. This is a great idea. Uh, It's going to work. Unfortunately, literally everyone did that with the belongings they wanted to conceal. It would have and Spoiler alert was the first place they fucking looked for secret documents. So Nathan Hale set off on this mission with no real cover. He said, fuck it. I want to use my real name. Nathan Hale used his real name. Why? He wanted to carry his Yale diploma around with him so that he could say he was a traveling teacher. What the fuck? Just forge one, dude. If this is your plan, you can probably get a piece of paper and just write one out. It's fucking a long time ago. No one's going to act like no one's going to be like, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's real. They're just going to be like, oh, cool, Mr. Uh, Jimmy Buffett. This is very nice. I'm so glad that you could come want to teach us. This is this is fantastic. So I'm here- teach you guys how to make the perfect margarita. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So. This is actually breaking, having no fucking cover is where he broke the fourth fucking rule of Spy Club. His lack of legitimate cover gets even more absurd when you consider the story he was telling everyone. He was saying he was a school teacher, yet his mission was to gather information on forts. He had no reason to actually be where he was trying to go. I also want to mention, although we don't know what he looked like, We know he was tall, like I said, handsome, and probably stuck out in a crowd. On top of that, he was part of the Patriot Army and was only going like a few towns over. Seriously, like just like a 20-minute drive. He's just heading 20 minutes down the road. People would have known what he looked like. People would have seen him dressed in the other town as a Patriot officer. And wait, the cherry on top of all of this is he actually had a powder burn on one side of his face. That's a super recognizable mark in and of itself. But the question everyone actually would have been asking themselves is, why is this Puritan from Yale school teacher shooting guns? Why does he have a powder mark on his face? Uh, I mean, sure, he could have been hunting. Or maybe he's a fucking military spy. Also, even worse for him, His cousin was an actual British officer, and he knew that his cousin was working for the Patriots. If he found out that his cousin was going to cross into enemy territory, he most likely would have assumed it was for intelligence purposes. 
There is a rumor that his cousin turned him in and aided the British in his capture. But yet again, we have no proof of this. It's all just kind of hearsay, historical hearsay. What the fuck did happen? Well, this dude named Robert Rogers of the Queen's Rangers, which they actually also just called Rogers Rangers because this dude was literally a total psycho badass. And he had the job of patrolling the coast with his merry men of thugs. One night, Rogers hears of a pair of boats acting kind of weird around Long Island. These would actually be the boats that would bring Hale to Long Island for his spying. Rogers was a pretty good fucking spy. He had been doing it for years, and he knew the game. He knew what to look for. Because of his experience, he would know to be on the lookout for certain things that maybe other non-intel gathering folks might just miss. With two ships acting weird along the coast, Rogers estimated that the rebels dropped a spy or two off along Long Island. He guesses on a route that the spy might take to get necessary information as well as place themselves in an advantageous spot to be recovered. While taking the path he assumes another spy might take, he actually hears word of a man asking a little too much. Rogers eventually tracks down Hale and watches him from a distance. When he is positive that Hale is the spy he's looking for, he sits down with him at a pub or an inn where Hale was staying and just strikes up conversation. This tactic is called elicitation. After a while of polite conversation, Rogers says that he is being detained on the island because he is a patriot. Then he goes even further and tells Hale that he is a spy for the patriots and is gathering intel. So. So when he does this tactic where he goes, you know, into the pub, orders a drink, this is sounding very familiar to me. It's in literally every James Bond movie at least <laughs> once. Oh, no, James Bond. Where he, go, he goes to a place. Yep. He orders a fucking snooty drink like a like a piece of shit. J- Justin, what do you think do you, the perfect I'm, spy I, cocktail I, I'm is? No, I personally don't get martinis. I don't like olives. So I especially don't like dirty martinis. Dirty. But there's always this this snooty thing that James Bond does where he's like, I want it shaken, not stirred. But I feel like that would not make a good martini. How would you make a martini? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you might know. (laughs) Is it a gay thing? Is it because I'm gay? I know how to make good martinis. By the way, I know how to make some killer martinis. Well, you're drinking like a Bond, whatever. I'm drinking Jim Beam. Love Street, Love Street, baby. It's a Kloss-style blonde. Bottoms up. from... From what I understand, ordering a martini shaken, not stirred, just makes you shaken, kind of a dumb dumb about martinis. I don't think Dick Steele would do the same thing. Excuse me. Is the seat taken? Please. Thank you. Do you always uh, take matters into your own hands? Things often end up in my hands. And I bet your hands end up in a lot of things. Let's just say my hands and things are often in the same place at the same time. Could I get you something to drink? We'll have dry Manoli and Russo's on the rocks, stirred, not beaten, twisted lemon, in chilled glasses, not frozen, and two of those curly little straws. That's ridiculous. Beyond cocktails, Roger rolls up to Hale. They're drinking together. And 
He's like, I'm a patriot. I'm a spy. And so Hale goes, hey, me too. This is where he breaks the fifth fucking rule of spy club. Don't go into enemy territory on a mission and tell people that you're on a mission. That's really fucking dumb, which also always makes me wonder how fucking James Bond can continue to just go into places and be like, I'm James Bond. And you're like, well, fuck, yeah, you're an international spy. Like, we're going to kill you now because we know exactly who you are. I'm not going to tell you a goddamn thing. So (sighs) plot spoiler for the fucking movie. But at this point, Rogers knows that he's a spy, but he kind of needs to make a semi-public confession. So Rogers invites Hale to have breakfast with him and some other, I'm making really big air quotes here, patriots, who are actually just some of Rogers' rangers playing patriots. So Hale starts spilling the beans about his mission. He is taken into custody by the rangers, obviously, and he is promptly delivered to Hal. Hal then determines that he's a spy, a.k.a. a dude in civilian clothing, gathering information for military use. And where was that fucking proof? Like I said, in his goddamn shoe. So Hal the next day signs his death warrant and he is hanged from a tree. It is rumored that Hale was offered a chance to speak some last words and he delivered a line from Cato, which, of course, George Washington would have loved. And the the quote is, I only regret that I have only one life to lose for my country. Although, yet again, with this, a lot of pieces of this story, there's actually no documentation or evidence of this. The best documentation we have actually of this event is from an eyewitness account from a British captain that was there. And he said he stated something along the lines of, quote, I believe it is every officer's duty to follow the order of his commander. But even that glosses over the fact that he fucking volunteered to go fucking on a spy mission. So perhaps the most accurate account we have of Hale's feelings on the matter is what he said to his Yale buddy after accepting the mission. Hale is quoted as saying, I am not influenced by the expectation of promotion or pecuniary reward. I wish to be useful and of every kind of service necessary to the public good, becoming honorable and being necessary. Where do we get a lot of this Hale Rogers information from anyway? This is actually a very interesting story. We only know about this incident because of a guy named Consider Tiffany. And yes, the name Tiffany, as in the jewelry store. And yes, his first name was Consider. Or at least it's spelled C-O-N-S-I-D-E-R, which I would assume that you would just say Consider, right? I think so. But lucky for historians, one of the Tiffany's donated the manuscripts that contain this information to the Library of Congress. So that's cool. But it makes me wonder how much unrevealed history is just sitting around rich people's homes waiting to be discovered. Or perhaps in the case of J.P. Morgan, uh, burnt in a fire because it was too sexually explicit for him to deal with. It is interesting to me that Hale is considered an icon of American intelligence today and celebrated as such a patriot because, well, due to the nature of his mission, his death was not reported. No one even at the time knew that this went down. We don't get Tiffany's account until the mid-1900s, and it wasn't until the early mid-1800s that Hale was beginning to be seen as a patriotic hero. And really, that was only because some dude wrote about the outcome of his mission in a book about heroes of the Revolutionary War. He was sort of the first real big espionage character to come from the Revolutionary War. Espionage mythos, I guess as a whole, but he was not the first spy. I just kind of want to say that. But he was one that Washington learned from. 
he would not make these same mistakes in the future with endeavors like the Culper Ring. It really echoes Paul Revere shit. Oh, 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 Justin, don't you worry. I have a whole fucking thing on Paul Revere. That dude, he, <laughs> so, well, no, seriously, I mean, we're going to have to kind of get into this at some point, but we'll talk about in one of our next episodes a little bit, the Sons of Liberty. And Paul Revere was a really big part of the, the Sons of Liberty and that story. And Paul, but, but the mythos that we understand of Paul Revere, the British are coming, the British are coming. And we touched on this a little bit before is actually very different from the actual reality of his role in the Sons of Liberty and delivering the message that British people were coming. Precisely. Have you seen the show Turnt? I've seen every episode at least twice. Whoa. Okay. Well, you're ahead of me. I really, I really do enjoy it. It's, it's a fun show. Three episodes and then. That's all you got into it? Three episodes and then Game of Thrones came back on. Okay. I could see how that could happen. I'll get back to it. Yeah, you really should. It's worth it. Um, for for anyone who has seen the show, I'm going to kind of, uh, as we move through some of these points, um, point out a few of the differences from the show versus what happened. But I'm going to try not to give too much away because, honestly, it is a very good show. And at the very least, it's a very good period piece. Yeah, and the show is about the Culper Spy Ring. Main, the main character of the Culper Spy Ring was 7-Eleven himself. Gas station vodka, George Washington. But Washington, he was a busy guy. So his main man arranging all these things along the East Coast was Major Benjamin Talmadge, a.k.a. Roos Bolton. <laughs> Did I say that right? So no, it was John Bolton. Roos Bolton is the father of Ramsey Bolton. Yeah, no, Ramsey you got it on that because it is John. He called he himself. Dion Greyjoy's dick <laughs> off. I get, the, I, get the, I get the Boltons mixed up. <laughs> but Beach Hales... He was the son of a Setucket Presbyterian minister. He joined the Continental Light Dragoons in 1776, not to be confused with the Ice Dragoons. <laughs> he got a little taste of battle and stuff around Philly. He became a chief handler of the ring agents in 1778 and remained so until 1783. And yeah, Beaten Tales, he kept up with his regular duties, engaging troops, finding troops, and supplying troops with... Lots uh, of troops. There's a lot of stuff with mm-hmm. troops going on here. And supplying troops. Troops. Engaging the troops. But he also did set up that culper ring. He did. This gave him a good cover to move freely along the coast because, A, he was from Setucket, and B was in charge of patrolling the coast around the area. No one would necessarily suspect him of carrying around super secret spy stuff. So he has he's not breaking any of the fucking spy club rules here. He's he's got a reason to be there. That's great. This is good. Exactly. Nathaniel, another Nate spy, Nathaniel Sackett. This dude assisted George Washington and B Tales. In a, the official creation of the Culper Ring, he was a fish kill slash New York merchant. What's a fish kill anyway? Is it just a fi- is, is it a fisher? Like what's a fish I kill? I think that he murdered fish. And he was like the MacGyver of a fisherman. I was trying to figure. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. I'm like, what the fuck is a fish kill? But he was experienced. He was a member of the committee and commission for detecting and defeating conspiracies. That's a mouthful. A.K.A. InfoWars, <laughs> which was established by the New York Revolutionary Legislature. 
He lived in New York City in a letter dated February 1777, 777, that's seven. the number of Christ. <laughs> Washington established a payment of $50 per month, big fucking money, plus the pool of $500 for which to pay for more information. Okay, the founding of our country, greasing the shit out of people, this is corruption, <laughs> and this is how just, yeah, we're just gonna, fucking We're works. just going to grease this and fucking revolution right up. That's a direct message to, right up. to you Bernie bro. Got to grease Bernie that Bros pipe. Don't understand. You got to grease shit up to make it happen. <laughs> it's not a. This is not a utopia. Also, to libertarians. <laughs> but ultimately, Washington shifted away from Sackett for unknown reasons. Yeah, we don't know why at the time. He was probably more worried about shifting interests to keep Philadelphia safe. That makes sense. A lot, a lot of these spies operated primarily in New York City and New Jersey, and they used. 763 codes. That's like a fucking... Which do not include pulling a 187 on a motherfucking cop. Can I get a 696 or a 969 or a 666 or a 999? Those are all possible combos. Just saying, or a 777. Nope, that's too high. I've gone too far. They only use 763 codes. But they had codes like 639 It was a Tory. 276 was a hypocrite. 745 meant England. 721 was New York City. 729 was Sawtucket. 646 was tyranny. 722 was a gentleman by the name of Abraham Woodhall. And 723 was another gentleman named Robert Townsend. His most close friends called him Bobby Townsend. <laughs> Robert B. Tal. Bobby Town. B. Townsend. And of course, not to beat a dead horse, but George Washington was number 711. 711. And we, we've also mentioned the use of in, shit like invisible ink, ciphers, and most definitely blowjobs and handjobs to get information. <laughs> you got to grease that shit. You got to give it. You got, listen, Bernie Bros. Is not blowjobs, handjobs, grease, money. Got to get out there. Got to get it done. Right. There's nothing moral about spying. No. But for the sake of the time, let's cover some notable agents. Let's get into it. Let's do it. First we off, are, we we're have, already running late. This is going to go so fast. So late, but we need to get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. First off, we have Abe Woodhall, who was recruited by B-Tails. Probably has less towns named after him, though. But he was the head cheese espionage agent in Setucket. His code name was Samuel Culper Sr. He was number 722, as you just said. 722. He was a bachelor. He worked the land in Setucket with the slaves. Yeah, and in the show Turn, it's interesting because they actually give him a wife, and I think that's mostly just to play up like some relationship and sex stuff. He does get married towards the end of the war, like very, very end of the war. But in the movie, he's like, I mean, well, the show, and then in the show, he's married the whole time, and he has a kid the whole time, and sex stuff. Really, I think his shows just nowadays need to play up the sex stuff. You know, we love sex stuff. There's an unconfirmed story about his recruitment. And it goes that Talmadge caught him selling goods to the British and Talmadge was like, look, dude, you're a sneaky fucker and I need that. I need that work right with now. Me, yeah. Work with me on some spy stuff and I won't cut your dick off for selling to the enemy. Abe loved his dick and he agreed. His sister and her husband lived in New York, which gave Abe a great cover for traveling back and forth. Gotta have that cover. Relaying information. You know, bing, bing, bing. MacGyver kind of stuff. <laughs> 
there's no easy way to say this. Abe was a timid little bitch. He was not like James Bond. He was not like MacGyver. Not suave. He Definitely not, not like suave. Yeah. Ethan Hunt. He did not shoot his mouth off about a spy game even after the war. He's like, let's keep this fucking he secret. He didn't say shit. Put it in the lockbox. But he did write about it only for his children so that they would later have confirmation of his involvement. And we don't really only have confirmation, official confirmation, because George Washington kept correspondence that he had with him. At the very beginning of the war, we have letters from Abe because he didn't like have a code scheme yet. And this is kind of like around the same time as the Nathan Hale shit went down. So we didn't have that code scheme quite yet at the very beginning. So he's like, hey, Abe. And then like later he was like, oh, shit, let's like not use names. Right. Washington, he wanted Abe to relocate to New York to maximize his spying action. And Abe was like, fuck no. I am such a timid little bitch. <laughs> and he was, you know, kind of right because British counterintelligence did end up looking for Abe at one point. He happened to be in New York at the time when the Queens Ranger Colonel Simcoe went around looking for him. The colonel had the shit beat out of Abe's dad instead of Abe. And But seriously, this Simcoe guy was really fucking nuts. In the show, they portray him as a crazy murderer. And I actually think from what I've understood in that way, uh, he, he really was that way. Abraham Woodhall was kind of a dipshit American hero. And I think that's a beautiful thing. He's not as bad as John McCain. <laughs> I don't even want to say that. That was not even right to say. <laughs> I was John McCain for Halloween in 2008, <laughs> and it's beautiful. But Abe did do one thing really right. He recruited Bobby Townsend, codenamed Samuel Culper Jr., 723. And Bobby Townsend was a Big Mac daddy from Cincinnati. Big swinging dick. Actually, he was a Big Mac daddy from New York City. He ran at groceries, uh, like kind of a general store, dry goods store. He was a, qu a Quaker. And being a Quaker is a great cover for a spy. It's like kind of being an Amish spy. He's supposed to be a pacifist, neutral in war. He's like Switzerland, but like a terrible Quaker because he's te definitely taking <laughs> sides as a spy. According to the Quaker rules, probably burning in hell right now. Yeah, no, most His certainly. was in Oyster Bay, which was 25 miles west of Setucket. So he had a, a reason to travel between New York City and Long Island. He had all this room to move around and he met Woodhall while staying at Woodhall's sister's boarding house in New York, probably also being a terrible Quaker and nailing Woodhall's <laughs> sister. <laughs> <laughs> His father helped secure provisions for the patriots before the British moved in the area. Afterwards, he swore an oath of allegiance and quartered officers in his house. Fucking liar. He's a sneaky fucking Quaker. Yeah, he's a sneaky fucking Quaker. For sure. Drawing lines in the sand, crossing those lines, and being a great fucking American. <laughs> Townsend ultimately got involved because British soldiers roughed up his family. A lot of British soldiers roughing up a lot of families. American families. Bobby Townsend recruited James Rivington. And I think James Rivington would be a great porn star name. <laughs> Holy shit. And Jimmy, Jimmy Rivington was a business partner in New York City. He operated a coffee shop and a very pro-British gossip magazine. Sort of the polar opposite of the Boston Gazette. I think Breitbart now is what... It's like if Steve Bannon was a spy <laughs> for the Democrats and also operating Breitbart. He was, that's a good, he was that's always a good analogy, actually. That's a great analogy. 
This guy was getting the scoop and printing positive spins on the military happenings in the colonies. Oh, he was in a great position to gather sensitive information. No one would have assumed that he was a spy. He was the Quaker Oats guy. That's fucking fascinating, actually. And I've never thought about it that way. That is so fascinating. Sorry, go ahead. It's always unclear why he started assisting the Patriot cause. We don't really know if a specific event or an encounter that he had that caused this. Maybe he was just being a shitty Quaker, like a rebellious Quaker. But maybe he was afraid that they would win and he would be treated harshly. But either way. He always helped Bobby Townsend, and he he helped the Patriot movement. And that's the story. Next of up, we have Jimmy Carol. Rivington, the porn star. James Rivington, I'll <laughs> fuck you in the butt. Real. <laughs> Next up, we have Caleb Brewster. He was a lieutenant, later captain. Another character from Setucket. He had extensive geographical knowledge of Long Island. He would gather information obtained by Woodhall. To harass British ships and deliver info to Talmadge, who would then trans- transmit the info to Washington. It's a long chain. And the next player we have is Austin Rowe. Also, not a bad porn star name either. <laughs> hey, hey, my name Austin Rowe. <laughs> Girl or guy. <laughs> and this is yet another dude from Satucket, which is damn. Lots of porn stars. I mean... <laughs> Spies coming from Setucket. Austin owned cows and would distribute messages using a box placed in the field between he and Woodhall's property, Abe Woodhall. Another one. And this is a lady. Ooh, lady spy. Because there were plenty of ladies in the spy game. You know, these ladies probably played a more important role than women do in most James Bond films. (laughs) End up naked, Anna painted in gold. Was the wife of Cella Strong, and Cella Strong, a hundred percent a porn name. Cella Strong mm-hmm. was imprisoned by the British. He had eight children, and I don't even think eight children back then was that much. But Jesus Christ, yeah, that's too much. And yet another Satucket character. Yeah, there's a lot. Seriously, like everyone was from there. Well, I mean. Talmadge was from there, so that makes sense. She had great signals for Abe Woodhall to meet Brewster. A black dress hung out on the line equals meeting. Yeah, and like it is funny to think about too because having a black dress would have been really weird for that time period. It's why she used it actually, but still seems weird that she would have, you know, just like had a black dress out all the time. Like that just seems odd. But yeah, some sort of weird dress code. I don't follow the dress code. A white handkerchief met meeting point. Woodhall lived across the Setucket Bay from Strong's, so they were. That's why they could see just, black just dresses on the line. Black negligee out on the line. Just here's my black. Here's my little black dress with four white handkerchiefs. Go meet at the tree on the fucking sound. But I do want to take a moment to talk about Anna Strong slash uh, Nancy. It is possible, but not confirmed, that she had a much deeper role in the Culper Ring than just signaling a drop. It is possible that Anna Strong was a Culper Ring agent that went by the codename 355. And Agent 355 is one of the most mysterious figures of the American Revolution. After more than 200 years, her identity is actually still unknown. This Agent 255 is said to have been closer to his fictitious, quote, son, the merchant Robert Townsend. So it is possible Agent 355 may have been a family member or a maid in a well-regarded loyalist family in New York City, which would have allowed her contact with high-ranking British officers. 
It is likely that she was someone particularly close to Major John Andre, swinging big dick handsome John Andre, who led the British intelligence efforts. We'll talk about him more next episode, but the intelligence that she passes to the Culper Ring was detailed when Andre was in New York and was sparse when he was not. So that's kind of how we're able to guess that he, she probably worked for him. Whoever she was, she helped to uncover American General Benedict Arnold's plans to betray the revolution. The show turn actually credits a slave woman who was once a slave of Anna Strong's. Uh, the slave's name was Abigail, and she was, quote, freed by the British, this is something they actually did, and went to work for Major John Andre and relayed information back to Anna via the slave's son, who Anna still tended to. Although this may have actually been a code name for any woman who helped Woodhall, we don't really know. But at this point, Justin, we have run into about an hour, so I think we should wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. And I suspect that James Bond also wraps it up. I don't think that he does. I think that he impregnates them and then kills them. I think. Whoa, whoa this or, no, I mean, like, think about it. Think about, I'm thinking about Goldfinger. He probably totally banged that girl unprotected and then walks out of the shower and is like, oh, oh, wait, hold on. Let me get my James voice on. Oh, my. She's painted with gold. You know, like sort of a situation. Luckily, they luckily didn't I've leave a patch on the back. Tr- tube snipped it. They didn't lose. They didn't leave a, a little patch on the back for the skin to breathe. That's what he says. That's a quote. I can't get women pregnant because I've had a vasectomy. I've had my tubes tied. It's mandatory. M made it mandatory. How much much Sean Connery kind of sounds like. Yes, I did actually. Remember that one time you kept calling me as Bane? Remember that one time? Yeah. I think, hey, Justin, can you take us out as Bane? Take control of your podcasting app. Leave us a review on Facebook. Don't leave me a bad review. And as always, like the Donald Trump.